even considering um, incentivizing them to get on your call. And if they can prove that they've been on your call, I'll give them a gift card. Anything, <laughs> I just want them to get this information. I'm Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, contact us and we might have you on the show. Today I'm talking to a community member, Daryl Robinson, who helps us understand his road to acceptance of the coronavirus vaccine. So thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today. You want to introduce yourself to people? I'm Daryl Robinson, native Washingtonian, champion of the people. Um, <laughs> I work at Congress Heights Community Training and Development Corporation, and we train in building maintenance and physical security. Um, and we also work in uh, public engagement. We want people that look like us to have a stake in all of the changes that are happening here in the city. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So I wanted to chat with you because we had a really interesting interaction around the vaccine. And I thought you might have some interesting perspectives people want to hear about. We did a session for you all, uh, Ask the Doctor session with the community. And during that conversation, you expressed some hesitation about taking the vaccine. So tell us about that. Why? I I am moving towards having the vaccine, but I still have some apprehension, um, as you can imagine. Um, Historically, um, I was concerned. We talked about initially uh, the Tuskegee study and what happened there. And my family had discussed it. And so there was this distrust of the medical community. Um, But let's talk about that just a little bit. Because I'm hearing this a lot. The Tuskegee study is somehow influencing people's decision about this vaccine. So what was the conversation you were having with your family about Tuskegee? I was much younger then, but we were talking about how, um, you know, we would see family members who wouldn't go to the doctor unless they were sick. That wasn't the case in my family, but close family members, extended family. They wouldn't go to the doctor unless they were sick. They didn't trust doctors. Doctors made them worse. They gave them pills. You know, that's what they would say. This is, I'm I'm giving you the conversation they would have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, doctors would give them these pills and and just send them home to, to die. You know, basically, that's what they would say. And the younger people kind of believed this because they would see people and then 
you see them and they would go to the hospital and then you may not see them <laughs> again. <laughs> so that's a little bit of my history. So we were having this conversation, my parents and I and my brother, about the Tuskegee study, how, you know, there, there were these guys there um, who had syphilis and and the government was supposed to cure them, but they didn't. And they, and then you know what happened after that there, you know, so, so people felt like that's, that, that just covered everything. We were the guinea pigs, so to speak, of any kind of study. If, if they wanted to see how, if, if the medical, if medical professionals wanted to see how things were going to happen or see how, how a community would react to a medication or a vaccine, then try it in the African-American community first before you roll it out. That's that's the perception. That wasn't necessarily my perception, but that was the perception going through my family, you know, growing up. Not my immediate family, but my extended family. And what about now? So what kind oh, of now, conversations are you having now about this vaccine? So I have had five family members who have had COVID. My parents, my dad is a cancer survivor and my mom is elderly. So they have their own, they get ready to take their second vaccine. My brother, but my brother is totally against it. And I haven't spoken with him about why, um, but I think it's some of the reasons that I share with you. But I, I'm, I need to speak with him because he's former military as well. So when we first started talking about this, though, you were skeptical. But then after I answered the questions from the community, you had moved a little further along the acceptance continuum. So tell us about that. I have several friends in the medical community. Um, so they have all been vaccinated. Like I said, my parents have been vaccinated. Um, but I was looking at, you know, I after we spoke, I spoke with the Today Show people that you connected me with. And they asked me, if the vaccine was available on that day, would I take it? And I, I had an emphatic no. But after that, numbers continued to rise. Which Maybe numbers? Fatality numbers and hospitalization, mm. COVID cases. You know, we were possibly facing another shutdown, it looked like. So I was just very concerned. Um, when we spoke initially, I was working from home um, full time. Now I'm back in the office um, five days a week. Um, eight hours a day, and I'm dealing with the public. So those kinds of things sort of move me closer to, I want to not only protect myself, but I want to protect my community as well. And we don't know, if we don't do something in action, well, we don't know what this is going to do. So I just wanted to be on the side of taking some action because, you know, it's not looking like we're seeing the end of this anytime soon. So you're open to it now or you're, you would get oh, yes. the vaccine. I have signed up my office. Oh. We were just contacted. And so when, when I can get it, I'm getting it. Wonderful. On our session last night, we asked uh, some of the seniors why they were getting vaccinated. And one of them said, well, I had to make a decision between the two V's. It was either the vaccine or the ventilator. <laughs> that's a good way of looking if that gets them to do it <laughs> yeah absolutely so what are you hearing in the community now with respect to the vaccine do you because there's a narrative on television in the media people are using this term vaccine hesitancy yeah. and basically saying black people 
won't get the vaccine as if it's the majority. Yeah. And I would just like to hear your perspectives and experiences. Is that mm-hmm. true? The majority of Black people you encounter don't want the vaccine? I'm not sure if it's the majority, but a high number. And I'll just use my office as an example. Um, we were contacted last week that we can have the vaccine. And myself and my manager signed up, no hesitation. Two other people in the office said no. And our executive director has, she's, she's ha- gotten it already. And I don't know what the others, but you know, the, the two that said no, one of them is from the area in the community and she's in her late 20s, early 30s. Mm. And so she's just an emphatic no, she's not budging on her, on her response. Um, and I think it's that fear that maybe somebody or some force is putting this in the community <laughs> to take some African-Americans out. I've heard that. The vaccine is doing yes, that? The vaccine. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard that. And, and, you know, I work in the training program. I haven't polled all of the trainees, but quite a few of them are getting their information word of mouth um, from on their the peers. On the grapevine from their peers, and they're not trusting the science. So that is the word on the street that I have. <laughs> so what do you think it would take? How, how can we reach people like your, your colleague to help them understand the science and gain some trust in it? Um, I thought having those conversations that you did for with us, I thought would help. And I thought that that would also, we invited all of our office people. And so my executive director and I were, were talking about that. Like they had opportunities to engage in this, these conversations to get this information. There's so much um, information out there coming from Dr. Fauci and other medical professionals coming from you. Um, and I put your flyer out there and even talked to them at length about um, jumping on these Tuesday calls because they really, you know, our sessions helped me. So I just wanted to pass that along to them. And I'm even considering um, incentivizing them to get on your call. And if they can prove that they've been on your call, I'll give them a gift card. Anything, <laughs> I just want them to get this information. But yeah. I feel also if my executive director, I mean, if my director and I get it and then they are into it, they see us, then that might help them as well. It sounds like even though after our first session, you had moved toward acceptance, you actually weren't there yet. I wasn't there. I wasn't. Right. So I wouldn't expect them to be there right away either, but... Yeah, I would be happy to provide a session for your team just to, to let people ask their questions. And I think sometimes people just need to be heard and they need someone to answer their questions respectfully. Yeah, we will. You um, never know. I'm going to um, see if I can put something together soon. So think about the, the health system broadly now. There's a lot of distrust with the health system, as you pointed out. People going into the hospital, never coming home, people getting medications from doctors they may not need, and people feeling as if the medicine makes them sicker. Mm -hmm. 
what does the healthcare system need to do to build trust with the black community? I'm very vocal with my doctor. We we have a love-hate relationship, if you will know. I love them and you know, but but I question everything because I want to know. And I constantly remind him that I am a co-partner in my health. So mm. he can recommend. You have to remind something. your doctor of that? No, but I just tell him. Okay. I don't have to remind him of that. He appreciates that I feel that way, that that's my view. Um, but I'm constantly asking questions and doing research. And one of the things that we are dealing with now is that I'm pre-diabetic, but I'm right on the cusp. So he has prescribed medication and I fought it and fought it and fought it. Um, changed my diet, did all these things, and still the numbers aren't in my working in my favor. I probably could exercise more, but so I I'm taking the medication. But now, um, even with a discount from the pharmaceutical and with my health insurance, it's still astronomical. Like I don't know how people can afford this. You know, I'm like, <laughs> this is like, and so that could be discouraging as well. You're, you know, you're, and I mean, I've heard different things. I've heard people who are on Medicaid say that um, when they go in to see doctors or whatever, they're treated differently because they're on Medicaid. I don't know. I've just heard that. I've heard people are treated differently according to uh, their level of insurance or or lack thereof. If they don't have insurance, then they're kind of uh, shoved to the side. And these are things that, that, you know, that I've heard. So I think that seeing more people like you, I mentioned to Karen from the Financial Times that, you know, growing up, I saw doctors closely. I saw nurses closely. Um, some people haven't had um, doctors and nurses in their friend group or family group, if you will. So they're just automatically distrusting because you all are an anomaly. You know, you <laughs> are some, you know, some person way over there that, you know, they just, they just have a fear of just from your presence. You know, I tell people this story recently, I was walking, you know, I, I'm in the neighborhood. Yeah, I'm close yeah. to you. Yeah. And I was walking around and I passed a group of guys in the alley and started talking to them. These are older gentlemen. And we got into a conversation about coronavirus and someone stopped the conversation and said, wait a minute, who are you? Doctors don't just show up in the alley. What, what are you doing here? Who can vouch for you? I went home and I got my white coat and my yeah. stethoscope and my ID and I went back down there and I proved them I was a doctor and it was the craziest thing. Yeah, yeah. They just, they just don't believe it. So if we want to educate the community about this vaccine and about coronavirus, you know, people are getting information on social media, they're watching news, they're getting it all over the place. Where do you think is the most powerful place to put the information or the best way for us to communicate accurate information to the community? Maybe bus stops or subway stations? Because really? Yes, because a lot of people, they have to travel for, for whatever reason. And I say that because 
I mean, you know, say, I say those places because unless you're going to get into their friend group, because they're getting a lot of information from their friends and family that may not be the best information. But if you can reach them in their travels and maybe change the narrative, maybe they'll pass what you say on to that <laughs> to these groups, or maybe at least have a rebuttal. Because I hear some of the craziest things <laughs> concerning the coronavirus. Like what? Like um, the how do we know this is not a man manufactured virus? This was put in here to get rid of us and gentrification. You know, like they want this city, so they want the world, and so they're going to put this, and that's why most of us are dying. <laughs> you know, I hear things like that. Like, like there's some kind of conspiracy theory from the government to annihilate people of color. Yeah. So that um, they can take whatever we have or don't have. You know, this, these are some of the things that I hear. Yeah. So how do we penetrate those those friend circles? That's a good question. That's yeah. a million dollar question because I'm trying to train them so that they can have a stake in the community. And it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. To, to, yeah. to uh, get them to take advantage of the opportunities. So. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your journey toward vaccine acceptance or anything else you're hearing in the community before I we go? I just um, think that um, people should um, get as much um, accurate um, information as they can, speak to um, people in the healthcare community, um, even if you don't know them. Show up at United Medical Health Center or somewhere, Howard University, wherever, just go in and start asking questions because that's the only way um, we're going to get the, the correct information and know what we need to do to get to our new normal because it, it won't be what we do, knew before. Yeah. Well, Daryl, thanks so much and for all your work in the community. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. We appreciate you too. Stay out there. <laughs> all right. You take care. Take care. That was Daryl Robinson sharing his experiences in the community, talking to people about the coronavirus vaccine and vaccine hesitancy. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.